Good morning. My name is Tavia Record, and I serve as the president of the STC Washington, D.C. Baltimore chapter that is bringing this feature to you today, Product Overviews and Getting Started Tutorials by Tom Johnson. Uh, we are grateful for this learning opportunity with Tom and also for the presence of our guests. Tom is a senior technical writer in Seattle, Washington. He is best known for his blog, I'dRatherBeWriting.com, which has the largest following in the techcom community. Tom has also created an extensive online API documentation course, which has helped hundreds of technical writers transition into API documentation. Thank you so much, Tom, for this opportunity to learn from you. Thanks, Tavia. Uh, I'm excited to kind of be giving this presentation and to interact with you. I really enjoy interacting with people, so I hope that if you have thoughts or comments, feedback that you can type it in the chat uh, along, the along the way during the presentation, not necessarily just at the end. Uh, there's going to be some interactive components as well. But uh, let me introduce this topic a little bit. As I started out my uh, relatively recent uh, job here in Seattle, I wanted to focus more on content. I wanted to get, get back into just the, the experience of documentation apart from tools and docs as code workflows and, and uh, things more API related. I wanted to focus on these two areas of documentation that I felt were neglected. Product overviews, which is usually the way you introduce and explain what your product is, and a getting started tutorial that gives people a, more of a hands-on experience in uh, in using the product so they can understand it as well. I felt like these these two topics tended to be somewhat neglected and they could also be a barometer for how good documentation is, is going to be. Um, if you want to follow along with the slides, you can. You can. They're just here uh, on my website and I'll provide a link here, uh, a short link if you want to go to that. But basically, this is what we're going to chat about today. We've got two main sections, product overviews and getting started tutorials. And with each, I'll go through best practices, examples, and then reasons for failure. And the, the C is going to be fun because it's like, you know, everybody wants to know why things fail and so on. Uh, and examples will be good as well. We're going to dig into, I don't know, half a dozen examples and, and you can kind of provide your input about what you think is working well or not these. Um, and as I said, feel free to, to use the chat. I'm monitoring it as we go. Let me know if anything's um, wonky, whether it's audio or visual or whatever. So again, my site, I'd rather be writing.com is where most people know me. I've been blogging for a long time. Uh, most recently, I've sort of focused on API documentation, but you know, this, this presentation could apply to API docs or, or any kind of documentation, really. All right, so a few high-level best practices for overviews include the following. First of all, you, you need to describe the product, right? It should have a, a description of what it is, and that description should make sense to a user. It, it should be clear. People should be able to get a sense of what the product is. And you know, this first point might seem, uh, hold on one back, one sec. If you're looking for the URL, you can just go to this short link or uh, 
if you're on my site, you can just come down to third post down and I've got a link here as well. All right. So this first section describing the product is something that seems like everybody would do by default and it would just be like a very basic, oh yes, of course you describe the product. And yet if you go to most documentation sites and read the description of the product, a lot of times it's not clear what the product is or does. It, it, this tends to be kind of overlooked and, and there's a reason why it gets overlooked and I'll go into that more later. But basically uh, you really want to help users understand exactly what it is that this product is and does. And when you add sample use cases, this can also help um, clarify exactly what the product is. You know, if you only have a few descript descriptive paragraphs, the use cases make it very concrete. You also want to identify the intended audience and level. This is extremely important. Are you talking to experienced Java engineers? Is your audience people who are uh, going to have, you know, no expectations about technical familiarity with some, something? Um, are you expecting them to have access to certain things, to hardware? You have to spell that out in the overview. Should also indicate what kind of requirements are, are present to use the product. Is it only available in certain geo, geographical regions? Or uh, do people have to have certain accounts or, or privileges or other kind of servers or setup? Is this going to require a um, certain type of framework that people need to have installed? Another key, key point here is, <clears throat> is to list out the components that are involved. This is probably more applicable to API documentation. But there tend to be a lot of different parts and having a list of components along with kind of a high level workflow about how those components interact uh, tends to be really helpful. People want to have this, this bird's eye view, this initial large uh, encompassing sense of the system uh, before they dive into the details. And that fits really well as an overview. I think indicating the development effort and scope is also really important, especially in API documentation. If this product is going to involve many months to implement, uh, if this is going to take um, one day versus 10 days versus 10 months, this should somehow be indicated. This is something usually people don't want to sort of um, indicate in docs. I've tried to, I've tried to pin people down about this before product teams, and they're always very hesitant. You know, the, is this a two month task? Is this three? And really one reason why a lot of partners or other people who are implementing docs want to see the documentation is to estimate and scope the complexity and the effort. They want to know if this is how hard it's going to be to implement. And I think a good overview should sort of indicate that. A few other things you might want to indicate how people can get help. You know, what are the channels? If there are known limitations, definitely include this, especially if it is a developer doc. Um, you, you want to be very transparent about everything that could go wrong. Um, this is always a fun conversation with, with product managers who don't want to uh, expose any kind of weaknesses and so on. But for sure, if if there are issues, uh, developers appreciate that. And then finally, link to a getting started tutorial. 
Now, not every product overview checks all these boxes. Uh, some are, are better than others and, and so on. And sometimes it makes sense to include other sections. You know, every product seems to be different. There's, there's some efforts to create templates for product overviews. There's a project called the Good Docs Project that has a great, you know, suggestions on what questions the overview should answer. Uh, and the Good Docs Project tries to provide templates so that people can essentially just go section by section. Oh, here I need to list some use cases. Here I need to, you know, provide the high-level workflow and so on. Uh, but I've found that Every product is sort of unique and um, seems to call its own sections and so on uh, that, that differ from each other. Let's look now at several examples of product overviews. And I'm pausing every now and then to kind of glance at the chat. Yes, uh, of course, recording will be available. I record pretty much every presentation I give and post it on my blog. Um, it's just how I kind of operate. I picked six examples of product overviews and um, I just thought things might be kind of interesting here. So let's, uh, and here's where I want to be more interactive, right? Um, although this might be more appropriate in, in more of a like workshop setting, but let's jump into this first one, IBM Watson Assistant. And I, I just kind of picked these at random. Um, I like have no stake in any of these docs really, uh, or, or maybe number six, but that's it. At any rate, so the Watson assistant, right? Let's say you come to IBM and you you kind of navigate into this first product. They start out with an about topic, right? And they list out some some very key sort of use cases uh, for why this product might be used. They jump into a high-level diagram uh, that kind of shows how this whole system works. You know, you've got a, a nice picture to look at. You know, whether it's super instructive or not it sort of remains to be seen, but it gives you something to look at, and then you can you can describe what's going on below that. Uh, coming down here, they provide indications about requirements and support, you know, what kind of browser do you have to have, what kind of languages are supported, other kind of specific terms. And then they link to a getting started tutorial uh, for the product. So this isn't bad. I mean, you've got a good amount of information to help people kind of move forward. Uh, and the real question, I guess, is if I read this, do I get a good sense about what I can do with this? I mean, it looks like it's the, the brains and the logic to build a chatbot and so on. All right, let's look at another one, AWS Lambda. Now I chose this one because this, this sort of presents another, this opens another issue about um, product overviews that's kind of interesting. But here, uh, as with most AWS topics, they start with a what is topic, and this is pretty common, right? The product overview doesn't necessarily say overview. It's often a question, what is X? And it gives a pretty meaty description about Lambda and so on. And and <clears throat> I think it's somewhat warranted since Lambda could probably mean a lot of different things in different contexts. Uh, but they cover sections such as when should I use it? This would be the use cases. Uh, 
<clears throat> get into very specific things. And you can, as you're reading this, you can begin to see that, oh, maybe I need to be familiar with some other services in the cloud. They go over some features and so on. They jump into a getting started list uh, right directly in this. Um, and, and then some related things. Now this one's interesting because there's also uh, a, let me see exactly where to get to, AWS Lambda. If you were to search for AWS Lambda, what you would land on is the marketing page. And this is why I selected this one because you've also got this companion marketing site that's trying to explain the same thing and it provides use cases and so on and who's using it and how to get started. So you've got this, this dual, dual sort of setup going. On the one hand, you've got the marketing site that tries to provide the same information to a higher level customer and it's, it breaks it down to features. It even covers pricing, which docs rarely cover, um, and so on. But then the documentation tries to also uh, provide an overview. So, so is it the same? I mean, is, is the description, Lambda is a compute service that lets you run code. And if you look over here, uh, Lambda is a serverless event-driven compute service that lets you run code, and so on. You can see it's a slightly different. Um, but that's this is one of the challenges of, of these product overviews that makes them interesting. You're suddenly you're suddenly not just describing a product. You're you're now navigating a different space. You're navigating a marketing space, and you have different sort of uh, users. You're not just talking to engineers or implementers, integrators. You're talking to high level business people. Some docs have a companion marketing site. Some docs don't. The docs that don't. Um, would then have to navigate this other space. And the docs that do have a companion marketing site will then need to figure out how redundant they want to be. Maybe you decide, you know what? The overview is already covered here. I'm not going to repeat, repeat it. So I'll just point to it. But then you end up with a somewhat fragmented experience. Okay. Uh, let's jump into... <clears throat> Jump into another one. Somebody says, would want to know more about use cases. Let's see if we can get another, this next example might prompt some more interesting uh, thoughts about that. Okay, so Ring Central. Now this is, a, this is an interesting one because there's a lot of different products, right? Uh, it's not as if documentation only has one product overview. Most likely, you've got a lot of mini products like this that each have their own product overview, and then all of those products roll up into a larger platform kind of overview. Um, if I come into Voice API, can see that this is just, it's got its own landing page, and it again has these very similar common sections, you know, description, details, and so on. It's itemized under features, code examples. This might be more of more similar to use cases, I'm not sure. Uh, but this this includes pricing. So here we've got more of a seamless experience between the marketing content and the actual product content. Um, let's see. So it looks like in their features section, they're really trying to provide more of the use cases. And use cases just means like uh, concrete examples about how the product might be used for different scenarios, different people. Um, 
can see that these are all, I would consider all these to be use cases. Like you want to record a greeting and so on. Um, and it looks like you can even expand to more. Uh, and with the code examples here, it looks like they're trying to make it very easy to get started. I would, yeah, it looks like here's the get started tutorial. Build your free JavaScript voice app. It's essentially, hey, take this uh, quick tutorial and you'll see how easy it is to get started. You can see by, it's interesting that they chose to put code examples in the product overview because usually that, that would kind of like, I don't know, uh, frighten away some people. I mean, especially if you have a C-level person evaluating the product, are they going to like, is this going to speak to them? But I think the reason these are posted is to try to communicate uh, how simple it is. And maybe from an engineering perspective, this might be more um, uh, instructive than, than descriptive text. Okay. Let's look at a couple more here. Uh, I always, you know, I have a personal philosophy that, that basically when you, when you implement something, when you try something out, the experience is usually different than when you're just talking about it on a conceptual level. So I, I really value the concrete here. I mean, I started out very, um, deductive by describing what I thought were, you know, good, good characteristics of a product overview. But then uh, more inductively would be to, to look at all these sample sites and try to induce what, what the characteristics are. And I definitely value that. So Ably. Now, if you're coming to Ably, we get right into it and I want to know what is Ably, right? Like, is this, if this is the home page of the documentation, there should be something that explains what Ably is. Well, we've got a very, very detailed exam, very detailed content about how Ably works. And maybe this, um, site and the platform sort of uh, assumes that people already understand Ably because they've come in from some other, uh, maybe marketing page or some other, other point. But, but I actually like this one because it, it seems to be pretty detailed in its description as you come through here, right up front. It's got a lot of information about channels. It's got some cool diagrams, you know, the, the informal, Hey, I sketched this kind of thing on my, on a napkin and here it is. Um, you jump right into a lot of different, uh, details. This might be a little more information than people want up front. And so, so it could be serving a couple different purposes. Uh, Let's see, somebody just unmuted their mic and it can kind of hear them. So there you go. Thanks. All right. So this, this really jumps into a lot of detail and you get a lot of diagrams going on here. So it's, it's interesting. Um, but I, I definitely think that like the diagram at a high level really makes the, the product overview visually attractive. It makes it sort of have some appeal. Even if you only have one diagram in all of your documentation, you can lead off with that in the product overview, it does engender some, some confidence in the documentation. Um, but yeah, this one's got quite a lot going on here and you can see it's, it's very well branded. All the, the diagrams look visually consistent and so on and, and custom. Um, so there's, that's their approach. No, no getting started tutorial here, but you do have some indications about how to get help and so on. Let's look at, just a couple more, this anomaly detector. Now this is an interesting one because I, I selected this 
for the mere fact that it illustrates the need to be part of uh, the intended audience in order to understand a product. And this is a point I'll dive into more. But if you're reading this, it's not going to make sense. The product description is not going to make sense unless you're into machine learning algorithms and, and the machine learning space. You know, the ability to detect anomalies in your time series data this assumes that that a user knows what time series data is, uh, and if you're not in this machine learning domain, this probably won't make sense. <coughs> Which is one of the key challenges of any type of writing, really, but especially with a product overview, is that you you need to understand what the user will know and what the user won't know. And if you're writing for machine learning users, they probably understand time series data. So it would likely make sense to them. But if you're writing for non-machine learning people, this would sort of fail, right? Without some sort of more extended explanation. But this, this uh, all of the Azure documentation seems to follow the same pattern. They begin with a what is, this is their product overview. Uh, they've got some, a list of the features, uh, what what it does. I guess this is, this seems to be more common than the the way I've termed it with use cases, but um, it's slightly different. I guess a feature a features like a list of different characteristics of the product versus use cases being how it could be applied. They've got a nice link to a demo to jump right into it. Um, they've got these notebook things where you can run, run code, Jupyter notebooks, trying to get you started very quickly, a description of the workflow even a video tutorial and some high-level questions and the next steps they want to get you to an online demo and to a quick start and so on so the, at the bottom of most of these product overviews is usually a link to the quick start tutorial uh, this is a, a common pattern that I think works really well and that's why these that's why I package these two topics together product overviews and getting started tutorials because they're both are kind of trying to help you become oriented and familiar with a product from two different angles. The product overview hits the conceptual side and the getting started hits the experiential or try it out side uh, where people learn by doing. Both of them, those modes kind of uh, uh, complement each other because they, they strike different ways that people learn. All right, last one. I'll just briefly share this. This one I added because this was uh, this is one I wrote while I was at Amazon, actually. Uh, and this this has similar characteristics. Uh, we had somebody do a bunch of videos, so we just threw that in there. But um, we have a list of hey, what can I do with this? Uh, what's possible? You're going to be able to say certain things after this. Uh, this is a list of every. This is like a list of the features for this product. Uh, expectations are, hey, w what are the requirements around using this? What do we expect users to do and so on? Uh, different high-level options and so forth. Sample apps, requirements, getting started, all this kind of stuff. All right, so that's about as far as I want to dive into those examples. And let's glance at the chat. Uh, Kevin says, none of, the, none of the examples seem to explain Explicitly state the intended audience and level. Do you think it should be implicit or explicit? And I think that's a very worthwhile question. Um, you're right. They don't seem to identify 
the audience and the level. Even in the one I wrote, let me think. Do I even indicate this? Um, you know, uh, I don't seem to either. I, I swear I thought I indicated it at some version of that. But, um, you know, it, I guess by nature of, uh, of reading it, if you, I mean, in the experience of reading it, if you're reading it and you're suddenly thinking, coming back to this video skills kit, if you're thinking, uh, like, obviously this might not be for me. I don't, I'm not building a fire TV app. I don't care about voice capabilities. Why am I even reading this? Right? So there's a sense that the only people who are going to be arriving at the page are people who kind of fit that, uh, user type who's looking for that solution, right? I'm not going to land on something about anomaly detection with Azure, unless I'm like a machine learning engineer. So in some sense, the very fact that you arrive at the page qualifies the audience a little bit. Uh, at the same time, sometimes, um, sometimes a product should call out like who, who it's for. I remember there was a, there was a different product I was working with at Amazon that was geared towards like non-technical people sort of, it was a product that failed, but, um, it's this creator.amazon.com. It was specifically for people who, and some, I mean, I think it's on its way out, but it was specifically for people who were not technical. Uh, and it didn't, didn't call that out and say, Hey, this is for people who don't know code, but, uh, the documentation kind of did, uh, whereas the other one doesn't, I don't know. Great question. You know, whether it's explicit or not, I think that's, that's a worthwhile sort of avenue to discuss more. All right, let's see. Uh, Sahid says, also, it seems as if there will be some overlap between product overview and getting started guides, such as requirements for use and intended audience sections. And yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, these two topic types can play off each other. You could... Uh, uh, maybe in your, in your getting started section, you have a list of requirements and you can point people to the requirements outlined in the product overview or vice versa. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, people might be skimming the product overview. Maybe they'll jump past some of these topics and, and the getting started tutorial might make them much more relevant if they suddenly realize, Oh, I'm supposed to have this server, uh, to run this. Okay. Let's see. John says, Audience is often implied by how you get to it, though. That might not be enough. Okay, yeah, coming back to the previous previous topic. Maybe we'll return to that. Because uh, I think audience does factor in heavily about why things sometimes fail. And so we'll, we'll uh, explore that a bit more. Thanks for your, your chats there. Um, I appreciate that. Let's move on to reasons why product overviews are poor, anemic, terrible. Uh, the first one, the reader isn't the intended audience. So the overview fails the reader. Uh, so coming back to that, that example with Microsoft Azure docs with the anomaly detector, if, if the reader isn't the right intended audience, then it might not makes sense. And this is where writing docs becomes very difficult because most tech writers aren't the intended audience of the product. Uh, 
currently I'm, I'm writing documentation for car manufacturers to integrate, right? I've never worked in that space. Um, so how does a writer know whether something makes sense to the user or not? This is where um, it's very difficult to sort of assess a product overview, right? If I just read through some of those product overviews that I was describing, when I'm not the intended audience, it's very, uh, it would be very uh, weak to make a judgment about the quality of that content if I'm not that audience. There's, there's jargon and so on that might be familiar to the audience, the time series data and so on, and others. Um, I think what we usually do in, in almost all cases is rely on feedback. If we describe something, and it doesn't make sense to users and they, they give us that feedback, then we try to add more clarity. But in some ways, it also helps that we're not part of the audience because we'll, we'll bring the level down and hopefully meet the needs of even the most basic users who aren't as familiar. By the way, if you want to read more about any of these topics, um, I've expanded on all of them in my my API course. Um, this links to the section that sort of uh, goes into more detail. Um, if you're, it's kind of a subsection in this whole one. It's kind of a long topic, but API product overviews is the section, and it's under conceptual topics in API docs. Right. So I just added some convenient links here. All right. Let's go to second cause. Why? for poor product overviews. UX's influence on intuitiveness implies that long overviews indicate bad design. Uh, let me unpack this a little bit. User experience designers have this idea that a product should be intuitive. What, what makes a product intuitive? Well, if that product matches the mental model of the user, then it should just naturally make sense to that user. Let me give you an example. Let's say you are a mountain biker and you want to buy a dropper post. This is a this is a like a, a stem that a bike seat sits on that has some kind of hydraulic lift that will raise or lower it through a button on your handlebars dynamically while you're riding. Uh, now, let's say that you're writing documentation for a dropper post. Do you have to explain why you would want a dropper post, why the user would want a dropper post? Or do you just sort of assume that, well, mountain bikers already have this mental model of climbing hills and the need to lower their seat, and they're kind of familiar with this category, so I'm just going to assume that they already know what it is and the product will just make sense because it matches their mental model um, <clears throat> it makes it it makes it difficult again to sort of uh, assess whether your product overview is working well if you don't have those same mental models in your own head right um, a lot of stuff on ux and intuitiveness and, and uh, there's a lot more we can talk about there. Let's see, somebody's added a couple of questions or somebody added a comment from Kevin. Do you recommend creating and thinking in terms of avatars or personas to ensure you're always targeting your intended audience? Um, you know, I, I haven't really heard personas described as avatars, but I like that. 
Uh, a lot of people do think that personas work well, and it's probably best practice. I see that recommended a lot. Um, for sure, for sure. If if that's, you know, I, I always think that the marketing people should already have personas developed that we can just leverage. And yet I often find that that's not the case. So uh, maybe this is an example to partner with marketing um, and kind of clarify some of those use cases uh, or sorry, some of those audience profiles that you're writing for and, and really try to pull out those mental models. So yeah, great point um, on that one. All right, let's look at another reason why these product overviews often fail. Overview pages are hard to write. So they're often neglected. Uh, it's, it really requires you to have thorough familiarity with the product to write the overview in the first place. Uh, oftentimes, you can only really write that first page when you've written the last page and worked with the product a number of months. You finally, you know, the light bulb moment comes on and you understand how it works and you can now kind of articulate it at a high, more expert level. Uh, so that light bulb moment and that greater understanding doesn't usually come into focus until near the end of the project, right before crunch time. And by then, um, you know, the, the overview may have been written many weeks or months ago at the beginning of the project when the understanding was just kind of very fuzzy and maybe copied uh, uh, a description from a business document and so on and move past that. So, so yeah, the, these pages, they're, they're not easy to write. I mean, it really shows how much you understand a product when you, whether you can articulate it at this high level like this. Um, and, and it can be very political too, right? You're suddenly defining what the product is in the overview and, and you might have varying camps that have different ideas about what the product is or how it should be defined. I mean, docs can often be a forcing function to bring different product teams into alignment uh, about just what the product is. All right, let's look at number four. Agile's co-development influence makes it difficult to surface higher level content needs. The idea, this idea is that when agile teams are developing products, they basically bring in a customer as a stakeholder in some way, or they do frequent check-ins with some beta customer partner all through the development process to make sure they're on track. You don't want to build something for six months and then show it to a customer and they're like, yeah, that's not what I wanted. But because you've pulled the customer into the development process, they become familiar with the product. And by the time you're writing docs and you're like showing these docs to the customer, the customer doesn't need that high level conceptual understanding because they were basically a code. They were part of the development process of the product and have been uh, in it from the early days. And now they don't need this high level. Um, so they're kind of the wrong audience in some ways to evaluate documentation. You really don't know. Uh, how well the product overview is going to function until you show it to somebody who wasn't part of that development history. Uh, all right, let's see. We've got another another comment. A product manager or product marketing manager should know the product audience such that they can inform writers about what overview content is needed. Be good to break down what overview really means on the target reader. Yeah, so... 
So this is kind of right. I mean, the, the product manager should be a key player in this, right? Like this is where docs and the product team, product manager should work really well together, especially if you've got personas and profiles and you're trying to understand the mental models and what assumptions users have, and what they don't have. Um, the, the product manager should understand this as well if they're actually building a product uh, for the right audience. Another question, what are your thoughts on how to manage a, manage a persona's approach when a product has multiple and different personas using it? Um, this comes back to the use cases, I think. You might have a use case for one type of persona and another use case for, an, for another type of persona. Um, and uh, this is the, the crux of documentation is that you're not just writing to one audience type. You may have new users, you may have advanced users, and you have to navigate those, those two domains. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have any great advice there, but I do think that um, understanding the, the complexities of audience is part of this product overview that makes it challenging for sure. All right, cause five. Higher level content is already handled by developer marketing content, making it redundant in docs. Uh, this is what I was pointing out with the, the Lambda example that has the companion marketing site that seems to already cover things that maybe the product overview is covering. And, uh, you know, there's also kind of a different territory with marketing content that, that most tech writers don't even really operate in. I think marketing content tries to tell the origin story of the product and tries to connect with the audience on a more of an emotional level. If you think of Red Bull, for example, like they're trying to communicate this idea that, that the product is for daredevil mountain bikers and helicopter skiers and so on. And, you know, it's got like a totally different approach. <laughs> they're trying to appeal to, to the emotions and, and brand things, right? Whereas the docs, if you were writing documentation about Red Bull, you'd most likely be describing the product uh, ingredients or something, right? Like, I don't even know what documentation it could possibly have, but um, it wouldn't be thinking in terms of origin stories and, and confidence and emotional appeals and so on. Um, <clears throat> okay, last, last cause here. Techcom buys into the reading to do paradigm for docs, reducing the value of longer conceptual docs. Uh, this, this is no secret to anybody who's been in Techcom. There's a definite uh, preference for task-based documentation. And if I support that. I mean, most readers or most users are, are action-oriented, trying to do things. They want to get started and so on. And with that mindset, which kind of harks back to minimalism with John Carroll and so on, there's definitely sort of a devaluization of longer conceptual documentation, you know? Uh, so, so tech writers might be uh, comfortable with just a simple paragraph describing the product, but then jumping into more task-based documentation. Um, and that could, that could then reduce um, the value of, uh, and the effort and the focus and the care given to the longer conceptual docs. All right, let me glance here at the chat. Uh, Lori says, one of my concerns is making sure that the workflow is 
clear to the reader in the overview or getting started section. Some getting started documentation does not give the true feeling of getting started. It creates the feeling of starting in the middle instead of true starting point of the workflow. And this uh, this might be more more relevant to the getting started stuff, which we'll jump into in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, even reading a product overview as a technical writer, I, I mentioned this earlier, uh, you get the sense that maybe you're not the right audience. You know, like all this stuff about machine learning assumes that I've probably been operating in this space for a number of years and are familiar with the challenges and the problems and the needs and the use cases and so on. Whereas a tech writer who jumps into it and is reading it might feel like, oh, I've sort of missed the boat many months ago and I'm kind of confused about all this stuff. Um, all right. Well, thank you for the, the comments there. And let's move on to the getting started. Let me take a drink of water. Okay. So now I love getting started tutorials. I mean, I, I was talking about the conceptual side, but I, I love getting started as well because as I mentioned, I have a personal pet philosophy about how uh, acting and trying things out um, results in a very different experience than just reading about them. With a getting st started tutorial, you typically link from the homepage, remember a lot of, the, or the product overview, whatever. Um, this is a very common pattern that we've been observing. You want to have enough detail in the getting started tutorial that it familiarizes the audience with your product, right? You don't want to have just a very bare bones getting started tutorial that doesn't really teach somebody about your product. Your your goal is to try to help them become familiar with what you offer. You want to give users a, a taste of success. Um, if a user starts going through your getting started tutorial and they, they actually get it to work, uh, this is a huge confidence builder. It can be something that propels them into further parts of your documentation. Uh, you know, th this success can inspire them to do more advanced stuff. Conversely, if they fail and can't even get the getting started tutorial to work, they probably won't be too excited to move on to the next tasks, right? Um, can kind of like, maybe, maybe it re might reinforce to them that perhaps they aren't the right audience. In your getting started, you want to remove any kind of setup burdens. A lot of times um, you might have to create all kinds of accounts and, and uh, I don't know, other kind of utilities that will speed things along uh, in your getting started tutorial. If I come back to the video skills kit, there was all kinds of, when I was writing this, there were all kinds of requirements that people had to do to set this up. Um, and if you come into like the the uh, integration steps, uh, there's like 10 integration steps, right? Uh, so the getting started tutorial has to try to simplify this in some way and make it easy to, to get started with things. Um, in this case, we had a, a sample app that actually made it so that you could do it in an afternoon rather than two weeks. Um, but even so, an afternoon to get through one getting started tutorial is not really the, the most uh, common time frame. Usually people want to get you started in, within an hour or so. The getting started tutorial takes a user from 
A to Z. You you kind of go through the whole workflow. Um, how how do you uh, get authorized to make a call? You know, do you have to get API keys and set up an account, and do you have to create a small app and import a library? Like, what do you have to do uh, to to make the thing work? And this is where it gets challenging because you might have to omit a lot of detail and simplify things. Uh, I think getting started tutorials have a lot of links that point out to other parts of the doc that people who might be more novice can consult in order to get more info. You're essentially compressing a novel into a poem and you're going to lose a lot of detail in there in that, uh, which then might make it more challenging for people to actually get started, especially if they're a beginner user who would probably be the target audience for a getting started tutorial. So this is kind of a big challenge, right? Uh, I mentioned the need to link copiously to other topics. I think a good getting started tutorial should welcome teaching moments. Like if you, you know, have a little, um, an aside sort of, sort of, uh, comment or you want to just say, Hey, uh, this is this is what's going on here, or this is what a common thing that people do, or I don't know, some kind of teaching opportunity. I think it's very uh, relevant in a getting started tutorial. The thing should actually work, uh, which is easier to say than 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 actually make happen. But um, you know, this should be something that that you that you check very meticulously to make sure that you haven't omitted any steps and that you've included all the necessary prerequisites or other detail to make it actually flawless for the user, more so than any other sort of topic in your in your docs. Maybe include some troubleshooting, right? Remember this, this will likely be a user new to the product. Maybe they're gonna get an error message if they didn't set something up correctly or install something. And finally, even if your users don't really find a lot of value in the getting started. These are super useful for uh, tech writers. Um, I spent, I spent probably, I swear, like a couple of months trying to get something to work at my current job. Um, and when I finally got it to work, I was so elated and it unlocked the doors to test a lot of other features and make other things work in a really easy way. Um, I was building Android, uh, the Android open source project from source, uh, and, and, and running emulators and then installing things on top of emulators and so on. And it required a lot of, a lot of figuring out like resources and, and so on. But, but it was very helpful to me and I haven't really seen it be received that well with users. Like I don't see a lot of hits on the topic. Um, so maybe they they don't really need it, but I certainly needed it. And it's gonna allow me to write much better docs. Let me glance here at the chat. Do you think a tutorial should be more casual and friendly in general than the other docs? Yeah, for sure, you know, you can adopt a more casual and friendly tone. I mean, um, as long as you don't go off the deep end with it, right, and, and totally like, uh, break with your other tone, I think it would be very appropriate to um, be a little friendlier given that the user is new 
and they're learning and they're probably going to make mistakes. Um, at the same time, I would hesitate to write any kind of language that says, Hey, you know, this is easy. You'll, you'll, you'll get it, you know, be confident and so on. Um, I think you should just be a little bit more matter of fact. I have a plumbing DIY nightmare after watching a tutorial about replacing a shutoff valve where the person on YouTube was basically saying, trying to encourage confidence with, with plumbing saying, you can do this, you know, this might be a, a little bit out of your comfort zone, but you know, go forward. Yeah. It resulted in like a huge flood and lots of, lots of damage. <laughs> anyway, that's a, maybe a, a different, different uh, sort of thing. All right, getting started examples. I see we only have about 10 minutes left, so maybe I'll just pick uh, a couple here. This first one I've used in my API documentation course uh, for using the SendGrid one. And I really like it because, because they used to say you could do this in five minutes. Somewhere it was, it used to say get started with, send, with SendGrid in like five minutes. And so I would challenge people to do this, right? They have to create an account, get a, get an API key and make a curl call. It's like the simplest three steps you think you could, could require to feasibly do something. Uh, but then, uh, as people get into this, it's like, Oh, wait a minute, curl. If you're not on a Mac, it's a nightmare to install <laughs> and so on. And you know, you need to get an account and create an API key. Hopefully you don't have challenges with that, but then formatting um, the curl call and so on is where a lot of people, uh, whoops, I didn't mean to go to that, where a lot of people made mistakes. Um, so I, I had people in one of my API workshops try to work through this in about five to 10 minutes and only one out of 20 actually made the request. Uh, just copying this little curl example, replacing it with your own API key and making that work, uh, sort of challenge users. Now these were tech writers, not engineers, so it's probably not the right audience, but you can see this is a very simple sort of tutorial. Um, it doesn't necessarily have enough detail to make people more familiar and confident with the product. I mean, it basically sends an email to the address that you indicate. Uh, maybe that's enough. Maybe it's not. Uh, let's look at Deutsche Bank. Surprisingly, this, this is this uh, API site, I think, has won some awards and so on from the Pronovix Developer Portal Awards, so it's a good example. But you can see here they've got a lot of stuff that walks you through all these different sections with an intro, create, it, create an app. It's got its own little page. Uh, you do something with uh, Teams and then test data and so on. But it kind of walks you through uh, using the API Explorer, getting a live request. So it walks you through various sections. Most of these examples are related to REST API documentation, where just making a call and getting a response is, is not like rocket science. It's just a matter of like figuring out how to get API keys really and pass them into whatever sample endpoint they have. Um, so that is kind of very, sim very simple for REST APIs, but sometimes you have much more complicated things like Coming back to this anomaly detector, I like this one. I think Azure's got great docs, by the way. But this one especially, uh, this is a quick start for using their thing, and they provide several different languages. All right, so here you're building an app, and it's a lot more involved. You know, 
after you uh, create a new project and install some dependencies and so on and import your packages, then it's kind of like, well, now you're going to be uh, pasting a bunch of code in here and they don't, they're, they're not going to like walk through the code in a lot of detail. You know, like they're not going to say things like, hey, you're going to instantiate this and create a new object and blah, blah, blah. It's mostly like, uh, here's a big chunk of code and run it and this is what it's going to do, right? So it's it's more involved and uh, it's a lot harder than just firing off some REST API endpoint. But if somebody's a Java engineer, this might be exactly what they need, right? So you've got a lot of code and, and the ability to try things out. Um, you've got... Uh, yeah, running running it and so on should definitely indicate what um, what the result will be. They link to some full sample code, which I think is great, and then next steps. So, okay, uh, those are a couple examples. Let me glance here. Do you think the from Kevin? Do you think a tutorial should be more? Ah, I already hit that one. Okay. Reasons for poor getting started tutorials. Number one. Uh, getting started tutorials are seen as an optional extra and few writers have time for optional work at release crunch, crunch times. Nobody is going to say, hey, Tom, where's the getting started tutorial? Project teams are usually worried about reference documentation and other core docs. And so the getting started tutorial might be something you, you work on after the first release. Um, and it might be something you have to spearhead yourself uh, to kind of, uh, you might have to create your own ticket for it, so to speak, um, which might become a deterrent to actually doing it. Another reason, the product setup might be too involved or impractical for a getting started tutorial. It might you know take so long that you're essentially repeating the, regu the regular documentation about how to set up and implement a product. There might not be a quick way to do it. And if this happens, you could try scaling things back. Maybe instead of, you know, that, that Java tutorial that we're just looking at with the anomaly detection and so on, maybe that's too much. Maybe, maybe you just need to have people do something simpler or you could, you could, um, just say, okay, this is going to take you two days and, and that's how it is. Um, Another reason, there, there's no sample app to, to demonstrate how to call the API. This is for scenarios that are more rooted in programming languages, not necessarily language agnostic APIs like the REST APIs. Uh, and and you, may, you may not be able to, to work with a Java API unless you have a Java app, and that app might not be available. Product teams usually don't want to make their... their really simple test apps available uh, to users because they're afraid that the users will just copy the, the code, that the code is not scalable, it's not production grade, it's terrible, whatever, and they just don't want to <clears throat> perpetuate bad coding practices. So as a tech writer, you may be kind of stuck on your own without being able to give the user a full-fledged sample app to quickly go through some call and see a result. Another reason, uh, the getting started tutorial omits detail for the sake of brevity, which threatens clarity. 
I already sort of talked about this with this this challenge of compressing a novel into a poem. You're gonna you're gonna lose detail, and that detail means it's not gonna be as clear. And it's hard for us to just sort of compress things without expanding with what we think is the necessary detail for it to be clear and followable. Another reason the tech might be too complicated for tech writers to walk through themselves. I mean, there's some really complicated stuff that requires senior level engineering, and it just may be beyond sort of the, 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 the expectation of a tech writer, tech writer to create this tutorial. Um, <clears throat> yeah, different domains have different levels of complexity, so uh, it might be more relevant to different groups. Okay, and finally, uh, the content isn't tested tested against real users. How often do we actually test the docs to make sure that they're going to have this flawless experience? Um, <clears throat> really, with the Getting Started tutorial, if you don't test it and refine it with different users, you won't see all the, the problems with it. But, but again, since it's not like usually a requested topic from product teams, it can be neglected, deprioritized, and turn into more of a hobby project. Finally, I wanted to point out that these two types of topics definitely should have lots of links to each other. They should cross-reference and, and springboard uh, between the two. Definitely, um, you know, I mentioned how the product overview usually has a link to the Getting Started tutorial, but likewise, in the Getting Started tutorial, should link back to the overview or other conceptual topics for more of that, that conceptual understanding. You know, the, the reality is, is that people are, it's not as if people are either experiential learners or like read first uh, conceptual learners. Uh, people bounce back between the two. When you get stuck trying something out, you read conceptual and after reading conceptual, you want to try it out and you hit other parts of the brain. If you want to read more about this, there are a couple links. This goes into the topics I pointed out earlier. And definitely, uh, um, definitely you can dive into this. Uh, I think these are two topics that are rich for analysis and discussion. Um, <clears throat> finally, my contact info, I'd rather be writing.com or on Twitter or email. Feel free to reach out to me and be happy to uh, answer questions and so on. But I want to wish you the best of luck as you're embarking on these two topics. Maybe take a, a, a minute to look at them in your own docs and evaluate them against the, the criteria and the characteristics that I, that I listed and maybe look at the examples and compare them. Be a great opportunity to discuss them among your own writing teams and kind of compare to see how, how your docs stack up with some other docs in the industry. Again, thank you so much for coming to this webinar, and uh, uh, I hope you uh, got something out of it. And um, I'll, I don't know if I turn it back over to Tavia or if I just end it, but uh, that's all I have. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Tom. That was awesome. I see that your guests have a few questions for you in the chat. Yeah, let me let me see. I thought I was trying to get to them as I went through it. So let's see if there's anything that I didn't get to. Um, you know, mostly the the last things I'm seeing are. Uh, oh, you know what? I missed one from Kevin and Jerry. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Jerry says so. APIs are akin to getting started docs. Uh, 
Mm, no, uh, I just said that APIs, REST APIs, lend themselves very easily to a getting started tutorial. Um, but APIs and getting started docs aren't necessarily in the same basket. Um, I mean, getting started tutorials are similar to a hello world tutorial, which is part of like the, the genre in the programming uh, world. So in that sense, they're kind of related, but an API doesn't necessarily involve um, a getting started. Although maybe with the API Explorer, you could make that case. All right, another one from Kevin. There seems to be an important distinction between a taster type getting started tutorial and a detailed instructions for getting fully set up on the system. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the, the, the taster type tutorial is lightweight. It, it, ideally, you should get through it in a couple hours or less, and it should give somebody a sense of how, how the thing works without requiring them to fully immerse themselves in it. And it would be worthwhile to call out, uh, often with, with titles like Quick Start, or or maybe getting started tutorial uh, in the title to distinguish it from maybe your first steps in implementing a system. But yeah, it's a good, good call out. Maybe people might get confused between the two. And I think that's it. I think uh, those are all the questions. I really appreciate people asking questions in the chat. So thank you for participating there. Thank you again, Tom. It's definitely an honor to collaborate with you. We're very grateful for the opportunity. And I also want to say thank you so much to our guests for your continued support. Blessings. Thanks, Tavia.